I invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11, okay? Throw you off just a bit. If you are an overachiever, you can find Hebrews 11, put your finger there, and then you can go back to Genesis 21, which we will eventually get to. But we're going to look initially at Hebrews 11 um, as we start into uh, this text of Scripture together. Hebrews chapter 11. In Genesis uh, chapters 20 and 21, I introduced you to a few weeks ago. Moses describes different threats to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises of land, seed, and blessing. If you remember Genesis 20 and 21, those two chapters are framed by the mention of an obscure king, a Philistine king by the name of Abimelech. He's a king of the city of Gerar. And so at the beginning of Genesis 20, he's mentioned, and then at the end of Genesis 21, he's mentioned. That's the text we'll look at a little bit later today. In Genesis chapter 20, his threat against Abraham and Sarah and the promises of God is against the progeny, against a son. God had promised that within a year, uh, there would be a child born to Sarah uh, from Abraham. And Abimelech did not know that they were married, and so he married uh, Sarah, and so you can imagine the threat if she would become impregnated uh, by this king. Um, and so in Genesis 20, uh, he, he threatened in that way. You have the kind of the wife-sister conflict in that chapter. Then at the end of Genesis 21, the text we're going to look at today, we come to the well-treaty story, the well-treaty conflict, where there's a new threat to land, seed, and blessing, and that is the threat of no water. And uh, we're going to look at that a little bit later on. Last week when we were here, we considered Hagar and Ishmael. If you remember, they were driven out of uh, Abraham's camp because uh, Ishmael was laughing at a party. He was mocking at a party at Isaac's weaning party uh, when he was likely two or three years of age. And so they were sent out into the wilderness with uh, not much, right? A skin of water and some bread. Well, eventually that water uh, did not hold up for them, and so when they ran out of water, you know, they, they were in a very desperate situation. One commentator really, uh, he, he defined this well for us. His name is John Goldingay. He said, in such wilderness, when your water is finished, you are finished, and so is your child. Today, at the end of Genesis chapter 21, we're going to learn that the threat of no water was not only true for Hagar and Ishmael, but it's also true for the people of God, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, as there'll be a threat, a dispute about a well of water uh, that was Abraham's. These texts all have to do with uh, threats or obstacles against God's promises to Abraham. And before we dig into them, I wanted to ask, have God's promises to you ever seemed entirely threatened? Entirely threatened. Likely, you're going through, you were going through some very difficult circumstance some trial that was impacting you or a loved one, has God's promises to you ever seemed threatened? 
One of the members of our church uh, who has been here for quite some time is currently working through a very challenging situation with someone he loves very dearly. He's ministering to her wife while her health is deteriorating. Even in the five years that I've been here, uh, I can testify to the fact that they have lived their, their whole lives since conversion, pursuing God in faith, believing that he will be near them, believing in the hope of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now, as this member's life mate is going through difficulties, I can testify to you the fact that he has continued faith in the midst of these obstacles or challenges to his faith. I had you turn to Hebrews 11. Sometimes I think when we think of Abraham, we think he got all the promises fulfilled for him in his lifetime. But here in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I want to just give you what the author of Hebrews says about the promises of God for Abraham. Look at uh, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And in case you don't know what that city is, you can read more about it down in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, where they'd come from, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There were certain promises that Abraham did not realize until heaven. Matter of fact, the text, I think, would would indicate to us that he died in faith, believing and waiting for the fulfillment of some of these things. As we pass through trials and difficulties, one of the things we need to keep in mind is that sometimes God overcomes obstacles to his promises in this life. And sometimes those obstacles are not finally or ultimately overcome until we see him face to face. Now go back to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. There's a threat here for Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And in this text, it just so happens that the newest threat will be overcome by God very simply in this life. The first conflict that Abimelech had with Abraham was about uh, a, a boy and whether or not uh, was regarding a marriage in Sarah. This one has to do with a well. What we're going to look at today are verses 22 through 34. This is an obscure text 
kind of buried in between two very significant texts of the Old Testament Scripture. If you have a heading in your Bible, you probably see the heading of verse tw- over verse, or chapter 21 is the birth of Isaac. That's a significant moment where God comes through in the promises. Then you look at Genesis 22, and you, you look at the heading there, and it says the sacrifice of Isaac. Okay, so our text is this obscure little text at the end of Genesis chapter 21 that people can easily miss. They see the birth of Isaac, the sacrifice of Isaac. As a matter of fact, I did a little experiment this week. I went through and I listened to some preachers, or tried to listen to some preachers on Genesis chapter 21. And what I noticed in going through there is the the comments on the text we're going to look at today would normally take a preacher only about three or four minutes. And that's when they did anything with it. It was shocking to me that many of those preachers who were preaching verse by verse through the book of Genesis did, didn't even have a sermon or a part of their text about this. And so when we come to an obscure text like this one about a dispute over a well of water, I think it's good for us to stop and ask why. Why is this text here? Why of all of the events that God could have included to give to us about Abraham during this phase of his life, why does he have this one? And what is Moses' goal in giving this to us? And so as we go through here, what I want to do today is just quickly go through the text. We'll go through it looking at every verse. And then at the end, we're going to ask the question, why? Okay, so as we're going through, you can try to figure that out. Why is this passage here? And so as we look at Genesis uh, chapter 21, verses 22 through 24, this episode in Abraham's life has four scenes. We'll go quickly, quickly through them. Scene number one is a request for an oath. Look at verse 22. It says, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, for I have, uh, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Here, the beginning of the narrative starts with a marker of time. He says, at that time, this probably refers to a time just after the events with Abraham and Sarah and the, or, um, I'm sorry, Hagar and Ishmael and the weaning party when they go out into the wilderness. So just after that time, which means it's likely about three years since the last Abimelech story. So it's been some time since Abimelech, uh, You know, uh, Abraham prays for Abimelech, and and then Abimelech gives Abraham any part of the land where he can dwell. Now, at this time, Abimelech comes out, and he's he's accompanied by a man by the name of Phicol. Okay, Phicol is his army commander. Now, when Abraham is out near this part of his land, and King Abimelech and his commanding officer come out, that likely gets his attention. This is perhaps some sort of official visit. There might be some conflict between them. Now, what they say is very important. Notice what they say right at the beginning. It's become obvious to Abimelech in these three or four years that God is showing favor or grace to Abraham in all that he does. He says, God is with you in all all that you do. 
This is a statement from Abimelech that's, that's speaking to the fact that God is present with Abraham and that God is blessing him and his works. And I think that this is a unique statement about a particular blessing, the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant regarding Abraham, and, and Abimelech is able uh, to see that here. Uh, but, but, but I think it is important to uh, to, to understand that there's no doubt, in my opinion, that Abraham has been watch, or I'm sorry, that Abimelech has been watching Abraham. He's been watching him for the three or four years. He watched where he went, where he grazed, where he encamped. And in this case, I think Abimelech is likely not a believer. I think sometimes even unregenerate people can see God's favor and blessing upon his people. Here, Abimelech has no doubt that Yahweh has been with Abraham. Having said that, I'll just take a moment for an application here to us as people, as followers of God. Well, while uh, the blessings of the Abrahamic promise weren't given originally to us, there are places in Scripture where we are reminded, for instance, that God will always be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And I pray, pray that our neighbors would also be able to recognize that we always have God with us. No doubt, your neighbors and co-workers watch you too, just like King Abimelech was watching Abraham. Do your neighbors know that God is with you in all that you do? Oh, that our neighbors would be able to say that regarding us. Well, this declaration from King Abimelech, and we'll keep moving quickly, it's followed by a request that Abraham take an oath that he will always favor Abimelech's people, at least through a few different generations. Uh, the text says his descendants and prosperity, which in some texts could be translated his sons and grandsons. So Abimelech comes to Abraham, and because God's blessing is always with him, King Abimelech sees Abraham as a superior and he comes to him and he wants him to make a promise to him that uh, Abraham would be near to him and would honor promises to his sons and his sons' sons. And Abraham agrees, right? His reply is short and sweet. I will swear in English three words, in Hebrew one word. I just kind of get the impression, will you take this oath to do this to my, for me, my sons and my grandsons? And it's like Abraham says, yep, yes. That leads to the second scene, a dispute over a well of water. Look with me at verses 25 and 26. When Abraham re reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Okay, so... Again, this is a quick story. Um, he comes asking for an oath. Abraham says he'll do it. But then Abraham starts by strongly rebuking Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had seized. Now again, this is a very important thing. You say, well, it's just a well of water. Well, very important to ancient people, especially for shepherds with livestock and people. This well would be, very extreme, it would be extremely important for Abraham. Um, it was threatening to him, and God brought the 
the person, the source of the threat right to him. So Abraham rebukes him, and Abimelech responds. You see, his response is quite similar, in my opinion, to the way he responded in the first problem. Remember the first problem, God comes to Abimelech in a nightmare, and he says, you are a dead man. And Abimelech's like, wait a second, what in the world? Why would I be judged by something I do in ignorance? I didn't even know she was married. Abraham told me uh, that this was his sister, and she said she was Abraham's brother. How can I be judged by that? I didn't know. Well, in this text, it's similar. As he responds to uh, Abraham, uh, he tells him that he did not have previous knowledge about the problem with the well. He's just heard about the issue right now from Abraham, which I kind of question. I mean, why would you bring Phicol, the commander of your army, if there wasn't some sort of dispute? Regardless, he says he doesn't know. That answer leads to our third scene, a resolution in verses 27 through 30. Okay, so uh, in this resolution, Abraham uh, will make a covenant with Abimelech. Look down at verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I have dug this well. So Abimelech's answer to the first part must have sufficed Abraham. He's going to make this covenant, and when he does so, um, he makes this covenant, and it's a bit mysterious as to what's happening. I think it's not only mysterious to us, right? I mean, do you have any questions as we're reading through there? What are these seven Yule lambs? Well, it's confusing to Abimelech, too. He asks that question. I'm glad sometimes when characters in Bible stories ask questions to clarify. What is the meaning of these seven Yule lambs? And uh, that's when Abraham explains that the seven Yule lambs are to be a testimony in some way or nature that the original source of the well was Abraham. That Abraham is saying this day that I am the one, or my people are the ones, who actually originally dug the well. Okay, so it seems to me, in looking at this little text, that what's actually going on here is the land belongs to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, but that Abraham, who was given the right to go wherever he wanted in the land, had dug a well. Remember, three years before this, Abimelech said, you can go, Abraham, wherever you want. Look at uh, chapter 20 and verse 15. There it's summarized. At the end of that first Abimelech story, it says, it says uh, there, and Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Okay, so Abraham, you can go and live wherever you want. And so Abraham's been doing that. And Abraham suggests that this well, I believe, uh, because of the right of digging the well, the right of labor, belongs to him. I agree with one commentator here. He explained it this way. He said, in accepting the lambs then, Abimelech would be releasing rights over the well and concede ownership to the patriarch Abraham. So that might be the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, that Abraham was the original one that dug it, and it may be a gift to Abimelech so that uh, this property, this well, will be Abraham's. Now, with this new treaty in place, there are some final details down in your Bible, verses 31 through 34. 
Okay, so let's look at these final details. Verse 31, therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. All right, so we're almost done with walking through the text and we'll ask why. Here we find out that the location of where this well is gets a new name. The new name is Beersheba, which comes from two Hebrew words put together. The first word, beer, means well, like a well of water. And the second one, shavah, means an oath. So this is the well of an oath, or the well of swearing, where Abraham swears here. It's remarkable that this becomes a very first little piece of land that Abraham possesses. Now, to commemorate the event, what Abraham does at the end here is he, he does two, he engages in two significant acts. He plants a tree, we're told what kind of tree, a tamarisk tree that will grow kind of tall with lots of shade. It's possible because it's right by the well. It's going to be watered. And that indicates that Abraham's likely to stay there for some time to enjoy the shade underneath this tree as it matures. But then secondly, and perhaps more importantly, he also worships there at Beersheba. He worships the Lord. He creates a site for worship, which is a normal practice for Abraham. And uh, even more importantly, he assigns to God a new name that you've never seen anywhere in your Bible. You've seen the Lord, Yahweh, but uh, he gives to God a new name here, ascribes him a new name, the Lord, the everlasting God. He identifies God as everlasting, or as the God who, who is forever, I think, because his covenant promise to Abimelech they just made will go down through at least three generations. So while Abraham himself will not be around, much longer actually, God will. He is the everlasting God. As one commentator said, God is not limited by time or place. He is able to ensure the covenant promises will extend down to Abraham and Abimelech's posterity here. Now that's this text. It's pretty simple. You can say, well, now I know why preachers take three minutes. I don't know how you took whatever amount of time that was. Uh, but you know, some, some preachers are just gifted right? Short versus long sermons. You're listening to a sermon before, like, how in the world did he preach for an hour on that one verse? Well, you know, <laughs> gift of gab, I guess. But now I want to ask why. Why is this text here, and what, what is the point? I, I would suggest that this text is placed here by Moses and by the Holy Spirit to emphasize something about God. This text starts with God. That's the first comment that Abimelech makes Yahweh is with you in all that you do. And it ends with God. He is the Lord, the everlasting God. So when we ask, why is this text here? I think it's best to see that, that the emphasis here is la laid upon who God is. Moses gives us this text to, emphasizing, to emphasize the abiding presence of God for his people. 
God is not limited by a generation. God is not li- limited by the lifespan of any one person. He is everlasting. He has and always will exist as the unchanging God who is there for his people. I want to, what I want to do at the end of our sermon here is I want to make two applications concerning this. First of all, it's true of God that he was not only there for Abraham, but he was there for Abraham's descendants as well. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at a little portion of the life of his son and just read a text with you. Now I'm going to read some verses here. Go to Genesis 26. I'm going to read, but I'm not going to comment very much. As we go through these, I want you to look and see, are there ways that God was there for Isaac, Abraham's son, like he was there for Abraham? Okay. In other words, look for similarities in this text, and you will be shocked if you haven't read this recently. Look at Genesis 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. I'm in Genesis 26, verse 2. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the earth that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's like Genesis 12. Why? Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Okay, now keep looking for similarities. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, uh, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there for a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and he saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man and his wife shall surely be put to death. We're going to keep reading, okay? Because there are more similarities. This is amazing. Look at verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. The man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his fathers had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water uh, is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. 
Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, and so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, that we may, shall be fruitful in the land. I need to read just to verse 33, so keep reading. From there he went to Beersheba. Where? Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his advisor, and who? Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Lest there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way. As they departed from him in peace, that same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. We've gone through this story. You see all the similarities? Famine in both stories. City of Gerar in both stories. Abimelech in both stories. Phicol in both stories. Lying about a wife in both stories. Controversy about a well in both stories, a covenant in both stories. But you know what? There is one other big similarity, and I sure hope you saw it. Men and women, there is one other person who was in both of these stories. It is the Lord, the everlasting God. And although Abraham was dead, and his promises to Abimelech could have been worth nothing. There was one being in both stories, and it is the Lord, the everlasting God. Now, I want to make an application for, to us for just a moment. This past Sunday, the senior pastor of the church that I grew up in resigned as a pastor. His name is Daryl Jeffers, and he has served as the senior pastor at my home church in Pennsylvania, Calvary Baptist Church in Clymer, for Clymer, Pennsylvania, for 40, almost 40 years. If you were to meet Daryl Jeffers, one of the things you'd say about him is he does never, he never ages. He's 70. He looks like he's 30. He looks the same as when I first met him over 30 years ago. Very similar. For almost 40 years, week after week, he opened God's word from the pulpit. He preached through most, if not all of the books of the Bible at a small country church in western Pennsylvania. But last week, he stood up and announced to the congregation that he was resigning. And just from talking with the congregation, it was shocking to them. Now, he's just... You know, he's, he's faithfully served there for 40 years. There's no scandal 
There's no controversy, but it was shocking to them. Most of them couldn't even believe it. But men and women, may that remind us of something. We pass along, not God. My home church pastor will vacate his office, but God never will. God is everlasting, and he will be here if he tarries for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he will be near to them as he has been to us so that others would say, God is with them in all that they do. And women, as we go through this obscure little text, let's not lose sight of the fact that our God, he is everlasting. Let's find solace and power in the everlasting nature of our great God. Let's pray together. God, it's so easy for us to just read over a text like this, to read over statements like, God was with them in all that they did. Or to read over a new name that was revealed about you over 4,000 years ago. (laughs) Generation after generation after generation of your people have lived and died in faith, and yet you still continue present be. Lord, we of course thank you for the glories of heaven, the fact that our brothers and sisters who have died are with you forever and ever, but we also rejoice that you are always with us and that you will fulfill your promises to us. I pray that as we close, we might just be overwhelmed a bit perhaps a lot, about our everlasting God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to close with a song of uh, response, so I invite you to stand. As the instruments are coming, I want to thank them for changing the order of the songs. As I was getting ready for the sermon this morning, I was listening to one of the songs in a loop over and over and over again as God was doing a work in my heart. The name of the song is Blessed uh, Be Your Name. Blessed Be Your Name. As we close, you think, how do you respond to a sermon about the everlasting God? I ask you, will you sing with intent the words of this song to your God? Will you bless his name when you live in the plentiful and when you're found in the wilderness? Will you bless his name? Let's sing praise to the Lord.